Welcome to Giving an Answer, the show dedicated to defending the historic Christian faith. I am your host, A.C. Felder. Today I will be giving a message entitled Racism and the Bible. I want you to imagine with me. Imagine that you wake up one day in a strange land among strange people, strange language, strange culture, even a strange God. You are told by your new captors that you have become their property like cattle. You are told that their God has written a book called the Bible that according to that Bible, he does not think very highly of you at all. According to them, the Bible says that you are inferior, that you are cursed, that you are second-class citizens. According to the Bible, they will tell you that it was him who gave them permission to come to your land, to put you in shackles, to remove you from your home, and to bring you here. It was his will. That's what they will tell you. It is true that many have said that. Even many Christians have said that. But what I want to talk to today is talk to you about today is, is, is not what they said, but is this actually what the Bible teaches? Does the Bible actually teach that blacks are cursed, that they are inferior? Submit to you today that the answer is no. But that's what we're going to talk about right now. Let's get started in my message entitled Racism and the Bible. The first thing I want to talk to you about specific arguments that those who um, perpetrate this whole idea of racism use. We'll go through specific biblical examples that they use. I'm going to look at those examples and I'm going to show you why those do not say anything near what they're trying to say that they say. Then I'm going to give general arguments against why the Bible is not racist. And I'm going to give you my conclusion. So let's get started. First of all, does the Bible condone slavery? Let's look at the Old Testament first. And I want to look at Leviticus. This is one of the most, I think, powerful passages that racists have used and that slave owners have used to justify slavery in America. Leviticus 25, 44 through 46 says, your male and female slaves are to come from the nations around you. From them, you may buy slaves. You may also buy some of the temporary residents living among you and members of your clans born in your country and they will become your property. You can bequeath them to your children as inherited property, and you can make them slaves for life. You have people like Reverend B. M. Palmer, who was one of the most influential Christians. He was actually one of the most undisputed intellectuals and emotional leaders of the Presbyterian Church in the Confederate States, which after 1865 became the Presbyterian Church in the United States. He writes, God had entrusted the black race to the care of the whites, a trust providentially committed to us, which meant that the South was obligated to conserve and to perpetuate the institution of slavery as now existing. So using Old Testament passages, Christians have even 
perpetrated the idea that it is God's will that blacks should be slaves to whites. But is this actually what the Bible teaches? Let's look at this a little bit more closely. First of all, I want to submit to you that the word translated here as property in Leviticus passage does not mean that they were considered less than human. If you look at different translations, you're going to see different ways that that word has been translated. And to give you an idea of how diverse that word has been used, if you read the book of Ruth, you see where Boaz says that he acquired Ruth as his wife. That definitely does not mean that Boaz thought that Ruth was anything less than human. If you read the book, you know that, she, that he considered her very, very equal. And not only that, God definitely didn't consider her any less than equal either, because if you look at Ruth, you will see that she is actually in the lineage of Jesus. It's very unusual for a woman to be mentioned in lineages. However, Ruth was mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. Another thing I want to point out here is that there are key differences between Old Testament slavery and American slavery. They are two completely different animals. The, the differences are so stark. I can't go through all the differences, but there's some things I want to point out is that usually when, when, the, when the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan, those people who were there could submit. They could become part of the crew. They could submit to the God. If they did not want to, then they, they were they were going to be held as second-class citizens by their own choice. And that was pretty much well to prevent people from uprising and rebelling. But they, that was in their choice. But also keep in mind that a lot of the people who were in slavery, and I, I use the word slavery very, very loosely because a lot of times it's just called, they call it bond servants. Because what you would do is you would sell yourself. Say, for instance, if you were in debt or if your family was in debt, you could actually sell your services to someone else. And these are all sort of mixed up in the same category. And also keep in mind that slavery has existed since the beginning of mankind. Slavery is going on right now in Africa. We have Muslims who are enslaving Christians right now. So slavery is something that, that was invented. By, by the New Testament or by the Old Testament or by the people of God. Then in every other culture that has ever practiced slavery, they look at those who were enslaved a lot differently than what we see in the passages in Leviticus or we see in the Old Testament. We see that they were considered human, whereas in the other cultures they were not considered human. Let me give you an example. First of all, it was not race, based on race at all. Ethnicity had absolutely nothing to do with, with uh, the, the slavery or the bondage. Also, a slave was to be freed automatically after six years, which is a complete different animal than what we see happen here. And also, for instance, if you had a slave and that slave was injured, say for instance, he was doing something and he lost his hand, you had to let that slave go free. And not only that, if a master did beat a slave and that slave died that same day, then that master was responsible for that slave's life and his life would be online because it would be just, just the same as killing any other person. So we see that there was a human dignity that was preserved in the, in the slavery in the Old Testament. We see that although God allowed people to do certain things, he met them where they were at, he put boundaries around them that ensured that they were still they still preserve their humanity, which is a lot different than any other culture. Even if you had a slave, if your slave ran away from you and ran to someone else, they could not return you. 
if, a, if an, another uh, nation slave ran away and ran to one of the Israelites, they could not return them. It was a lot different animal. And when we think about slavery, I think we are marred by what happened here in the United States when this has not been the idea of slavery up until that point. And another thing I want to mention also is that Old Testament mandates like those in Leviticus only applied to, only applied to Israel. It applied to a specific people 3,000 years ago for a specific amount of time in a specific corner of the world. To take that and try to apply that to America or anyone else is just an injustice. How do you go and you take these passages and say, well, okay, God ordained this, but then you skip over some all the other Old Testament passages. You, you still eat pork. I mean, you do all the other things. You don't kill cattle and stuff like that for animal sacrifices. But when there are things that allow you to do what you want to do, then okay, then God has ordained that. When you think about it, it doesn't even make any sense. The fact that they will use these passages to justify slavery in America tells you that they were grasping their straws. What about the New Testament? Because we also looked at, there are also New Testament passages that slave owners use to justify slavery. And none, owner than, none other than the writings of Apostle Paul. For instance, one that was popular is Romans 13, 2, where Paul writes, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. The idea that if the state has determined that slavery is okay, then you need to go along with it, because if you rebel against the state, then you're rebelling against God, because God has instituted and set up the government. Here's another one that was commonly used. Colossians 4.1, masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. The thinking is, is that, well, obviously Paul didn't have a problem with slavery. He's telling the slave masters to be kind to the slaves. But look at this passage. I mean, it's, it's like you almost have to intentionally blind yourself to, to miss what is actually going on. I mean, he's actually saying that to be fair with them. And he's also saying that we have a master in heaven. Uh, is he comparing God to a, to a slave master? Absolutely not. Philemon may be one of the most common examples used to propagate the whole idea of slavery. And for those of you who don't know this story, Philemon owned slaves. He had one particular slave named Manissus who, who ran away. Paul happened to come across him doing his travels and said, oh, you've got to go back. So. The thinking then is, is that Paul is sending him back, and if Paul is sending him back, then Paul must clearly be okay with the whole slavery thing. Paul says in, in Philemon 12, I have sent him back to you in person. He's returning the slave. So all these have been used as an example that the New Testament supports slavery. But when we take a closer look at it, we see that's exactly, it's the exact opposite is, is what's actually happening. First of all, the whole thing about man's law, well, it's just that if man's law conflicts with God's law, we are obligated to obey God's law. And we see that throughout scripture. If, if, if God's law says one thing and then your law says another, we are supposed to ignore man's law. Let me give you an example, an Old Testament example. We see that the, that the uh, midwives in Egypt the Pharaoh told the midwives to kill all the male-born childs. The midwives did not do so. God blessed them. But weren't they disobeying 
authority? Well, they were obeying a higher authority. When it comes to authority, there's God, there are other people, and then there are things. And we, also, we always have to look at obeying God before we obey other people. And then we look out for the interests of other people before we look out for the interests of things. We also see in the New Testament where the officials told the apostles to stop preaching Jesus, to stop preaching Jesus crucified, and to stop spreading the gospel. And what the apostles say, we have to obey God rather than man. So if, if it's against God's law, it's against God's law. Also, Paul is telling slave masters to treat their slaves well, just as any employer is supposed to treat his employer well. If you look in the bibliography, I have an article that I went to, PBS, that talks about slavery during this time. <laughs> One out of two people was a slave during the Roman Empire. One out of two people. Like I said, slavery is something that wasn't, wasn't invented by the Bible. Slavery had always existed. And when we look at, we even see people who, who, were, who were slaves who rose to prominence in the Bible. We look at Joseph, who was a slave, who was sold into slavery, and he ended up becoming second in command. And that's another difference that you, that you find in the Old Testament slavery that we don't find in, in the United States is that, is that when you, even those slaves, they, could, and they were considered like part of the family. A slave could be a slave for life, but only by his choice. He had to request to be a slave for life. And that happened a lot because a lot of the slaves were, were very attached to the families. They could become part of the family. They could be adopted. And actually, they could be considered an heir along with the other children. Like I said, there was a sense of dignity to it that we didn't see anything like in this country. So you can't even compare the two. Also, Philemon, if you really look at the book and see what's actually going on, you see Philemon should welcome Onesimus just as though he were welcoming Paul himself, not as a slave, but as a brother. This book proves the exact opposite of what the slave owners would tell us. Let's look at Philemon. 8 through 9, Paul is writing, Though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the age, and now also prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul often called himself a prisoner. He often called himself a slave of Jesus. He often called himself a bondservant. So what is he saying now? He's, he's saying, you know, Philemon, you really should set him free. I'm not going to tell you to, but I'm sure I am telling you. I'm telling you without telling you. Paul did not approve of slavery. And we see also here in verses 15 to 16 that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. So he was being returned as a brother in Christ, just like Paul was a brother in Christ, not as a second-class citizen or as a slave. Does the Bible teach separation of races? We see that it doesn't teach, it doesn't condone slavery, regardless of what you've been told. And, and, and I want to mention something here. I want to mention that, that a lot of what we understand in this country, a lot of the root of discrimination, a lot of the root of, uh, of slavery, a lot of the root of that is based on these passages that I'm going to, through right now. You may not be aware of that, but that is at the root of a lot of it because they had to justify it. And, the, and the, you had to justify it by the best authority available, and the best authority available was the Bible. So what they did was pervert the Bible in order to justify not just slavery, but genocide and, 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 and discrimination today, today. And I'm gonna to touch on that as well. Does the Bible teach separation of races? 
And it's amazing as I as I did research for this, and as I go through the websites, and you and you read some of the, the gymnastics they try to jump through in order to justify. They look at the passage and say, "Well, see, God right there is teaching that the races should be separated." And then you look at the passage and you're like, "What? What? It says no such thing." Example. Let's look at the Tower of Babel. God wanted the races. This is what they would say. God wanted the races to separate and populate the earth as allegedly commanded by God after the flood. So after the flood, supposedly, now, work with me here. Noah had three sons. The belief is, they would say, is that they were three different races, right? So you had Ham, who was supposed to have been black, right? You had Jephthah, who was supposed to have been white, and you had Shem, who was supposed to have been brown or Asian, depending on who, who you're talking to. So the, the thought is, is that when, when God said, you know, to multiply, they were supposed to multiply based on their race, right? So all the black folk, you go over there. All the white folk, you go over there. You weren't supposed to come together. So what they did was, this is their, this is their and you're, gonna, you're not going to find us on, you're looking at me like I'm, I'm crazy because this makes no sense, because it doesn't. And you're not going to find us in passion. I'm just telling you what the justification is. So they would say, well, they came together and they built the Tower of Babel. And they would say that the, uh, God wasn't really too concerned about them trying to build the tower to heaven. He was more concerned that they didn't spread out like he told them to spread out by races. So God said, well, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. So he came down there, and then he confused the races, and he confused the language, and he confused the language based on race. So all black folk would talk to black folk, all white folk would talk to white folk, and all Asian folk would talk to Asian folks, and everybody go their way. Right? So that, that's, that's what they teach. Man rejected God's command, so God confused the language, and he confused them based on race. You, don't look for it. I mean, you can look for it in the Bible, but you're not going to find it. But I'm telling you that this has been used to justify. And let me give you an example. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not telling you something right here that happened back in, uh, in 1785. In October 1998, Jan Lansman inquired about enrolling in South Carolina's Bob Jones University. South Carolina, 1998, y'all. I, I didn't say 1798. 1998. He mentioned that he was married to an African American and he wanted to know if he could enroll and this was their response to him. God has separated people for his own purpose. He has erected barriers between the nations, not only land and sea barriers, but also ethnic, cultural, and language barriers. God has made people different from one another and intends those differences to remain. Doesn't it sound like what I was just telling you about the whole thing about God wanting people to go their separate ways? And like I said, this is not, this is not 1798. Do you know that in, in during the civil rights debate that Senator Byrd, when arguing against the civil rights legislation, quoted the whole thing about Noah and quoted basically this, the fact that God wanted people to be separate. That's why it has to be separate but equal. Y'all wonder where separate but equal came from? It came from this. Because God wanted people to be separate. It's what they would say. Like I say, this stuff isn't rooted in our culture based on what I'm showing you right now. In response, there's absolutely nothing in the biblical narrative. I mean, and I mean nothing to indicate that race played any factor in God's motivation to separate the nations. Absolutely nothing. And here's another thing. Even if it were true 
that the separation of the nations is based on the division of languages, then it should also be true that Pentecost would have been a reversal of that separation. If God said, okay, I am going to separate y'all based on language and culture because I want y'all to be separated, then explain to me what was going on at Pentecost when everyone heard the gospel message in their own language. Wouldn't this have been a reversal? Keep in mind, at Pentecost, there were people from every known nation. There were people from Syria, Iran, Africa. There were, there were Greeks, everyone, everywhere. So if that were actually true, then this would, be, this would have been God's reversal. Now, what about the book of Ezra? Ezra is also another book that's very popular that's used to teach that, well, God wanted the races to be separate. And let me set this up. Now, when God gave the land of Canaan to the children of Israel, he basically said, now I don't want y'all fooling with them. I don't want y'all fooling with them at all. So, at some point, some of the, the, the men came to Ezra and explained something to Ezra about what was going on. And they said to Ezra in Ezra 9.1, they said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples. Notice what I italicize here, because this is what they focused on. With their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Parasites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. Now, this prohibition has been interpreted to be racially based on the notion, based on the notion that obviously the Jews were white and everybody else was black. You won't find that in scripture anywhere. But that is the understanding, that is the belief that because the Jews were the white guys, the good guys, they had to be the white guys. And God is basically saying, I don't want you to fool with those Canaanites because they're black, and I don't want you to have nothing to do with them because y'all are white, y'all are my good people, and y'all don't want y'all to have anything to do with them. Well, the separation required by God was based on belief. It had absolutely nothing to do with race. Let me look at this exact same passage and let me italicize something different that they completely overlook where it says the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices. That is why God said, I don't want you to have anything to do with them. It had nothing to do with race. It was based on their detestable practices. What were these practices? They were involved in child sacrifice. They were, they were involved in, in, in temple worship where, where, where you would actually go to the temple and have sex with prostitutes as an act of worship to their, to their pagan gods. These are the detestable things that God said, I don't want you to have anything to do with them for. It had nothing to do with race. God is saying that I want you to be pure. I want you to be separated from them because I don't want you getting involved with them. Because if you get involved with them, you're going to go down that road. You're going to follow their gods and then you're going to turn your back on me. And that's exactly what happened. That is exactly what ended up happening. Moving on. What about the book of Acts? The book of Acts is a New Testament example, supposedly, that God wanted the races to be separated. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they should live. God allegedly ordained that men should live with boundaries that God himself had ordained. Now, 
Oh boy. I want you to look at this map. And you see, you see Ham, you see Shem, and you see Jephthah, all right? Now, the whole thing is, as I mentioned before, God was saying, okay, Ham, y'all folks, y'all go stay in Africa, and, and y'all keep to yourselves in Africa. And Shem, y'all stay in Arabia, y'all keep to yourselves in Arabia. And then y'all in Jephthah, y'all gonna be the white people, y'all gonna go do Europe, and y'all stay there. And God wanted them to maintain those boundaries. Here's a problem with that, an obvious problem. If it is true that God set the boundaries by race in which people should live, then there was the slave traders who violated God's order by going to their land and bringing them back to this land. You are saying that God wants these boundaries to be maintained, yet you're going over there bringing folks here and they're saying we should be separate. Well, we saw the world separate until you went over there and brought us back over here. Don't be telling us we should be separate now after you don't board us over here. That doesn't even make any sense. Does the Bible also teach that black people are cursed? There are a lot of people who believe that. Based on the curse of Ham, argument based on the curse of Ham. Well, let me, let me set this up. Let me set this up a little bit. All right. So when Noah and his family got off the ark, and, and I mentioned a story before about, you know, God, you know, there were supposedly three different races. Ham was black, and, and as I mentioned before. So Ham allegedly saw his father, what the scripture actually says, he saw his father naked, right? So he went out and he told his brothers, and he told his brothers and he was mocking his father. Now, a whole lot of went on there, went on there is, is beyond the scope of this this, this discussion here. But instead of his brothers coming back and looking at his father and mocking him, they actually covered him. There's something to do with respect, something to do with his, uncovering his father's shame. But when Noah found out what happened, Noah said, curse be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. And according to the slave white, the white slaveholders, slavery in America is fulfillment of this curse. It justifies slavery. This curse right here, but I know it justifies slavery in America. Response. First of all, there's no reason to believe that Ham was of any different race than Noah or his siblings since they all had the same mother and father. <laughs> it ain't like they had different mothers. They had the same mother and father. Now, now, come on now. You got the same mother and father, and you're going to tell me one child is black, one child is white, and then one child is Asian. That makes no sense. Genetically, it makes no sense. Scientifically, it makes no sense. Whatever race they were, they were all the same race. They were all the same race. And we know now, scientifically, the, 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 the understanding now is that the human race started in East Africa. So that is where the race actually started at. They have DNA evidence where they can trace the migration of people. So this whole idea doesn't make any sense. It doesn't hold any water at all. Also, keep in mind that the curse was aimed at Canaan, not Ham. I want you to look at this real careful. If you look at this real careful, you will see, if you look at Africa, you will see Put, Mitchum, and you will see Cush. All right. 
Now look above, put, you see Canaan. Now, this is interesting. Think about this now. Africa was actually populated by the descendants of Cush, not Canaan. You see where I'm going with this? If, if slavery is justified on the case, on the curse of Canaan, then, then they would have had to have been going to the land of Canaan to get people to, to, serve, to put them in servitude. They went to Africa, and Africa was from the son, was from Cush, which is actually Egypt and Sudan and Ethiopia. That's where they went. But they weren't part of the curse. Canaan was the curse, not Cush. So there's absolutely no justification to go into Africa and then claim as part of that curse. You've got the wrong son. You've got the wrong tribe. You've got the wrong people. And the reason it doesn't really matter to them because, you know, it, it's just when people want to do wrong, people will find a way to do wrong and people would justify doing wrong. But this leads to the next point. The next point is that the prophecy of Noah and Canaan was fulfilled during the Jewish occupation of the promised land. Remember when Joshua did his military campaigns and he went into the land and he subdued the people there? That was fulfillment of that prophecy. That was fulfillment back then. There is no way that could possibly be used to validate slavery in America. It was fulfilled thousands of years ago, done deal. The defenders of slavery create this mystery link between uh, the curse, blackness, and slavery that the Bible just does not have. It's non-existent in the Bible. It's invented. Let's look at the curse of Cain, which is another curse that they say that has fallen on all black people. This is Brigham Young. Brigham Young was the second president and prophet of the Mormon church. Look what Brigham Young had to say. Cain slew his brother. Cain might have been killed, and that would put a termination to that line of human beings. I don't know what he mean by that line. I mean, there's only one line, but that's a story for the whole other day. This was not to be, and the Lord put a mark upon him, which was the flat nose and black skin. Then another curse is pronounced upon the same race, that they should be the servants of servants. Interesting. Because when I read the Bible, <laughs> the Bible simply says the Lord put a mark on Cain. It doesn't say anything about the nature of the mark. It doesn't say the mark was, was a flat nose or black skin. It doesn't say any of that. This is exactly why that it isn't until recent that the Mormon church allowed blacks to be part of the Mormon church because they still considered them to be Cain, to be cursed under the curse of Cain. And it was only recently that they reversed that when they've got this mysterious, convenient revelation from God. Not only that, it was a mark of protection. Genesis 4.15, the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. It wasn't a mark to, to, to curse him, it was a mark to protect him. So this whole idea that this mark was black skin and it was a curse, it's nowhere in the scripture. Nowhere in the scripture. So these are the specific arguments dealing with specific passages in, in the Bible, but there are general points that I wanna make in response to the belief that the Bible and Christianity 
are racist. And the first one I'm going to mention is just biblical interpretation. That'll solve a lot of the problems right there. By ignoring the context of a passage, we can come to the complete opposite view of the authors. The complete opposite view. Let me give an example. Psalms 14.1 says, there is no God. It's right there. It says there is no God. But if you read it in the context, it says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. So if you ignore the context, if you ignore the context, you could come to a completely erroneous understanding. When we look at passages, when we look at scripture, we have to understand the context to be, to be the, the immediate context and, 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 the, and the, the thought of the passage or the chapter. And then we have the context that, that is the book and we have the context that is the testament and we have the context that is the entire Bible. And we also have to keep in mind that when we look at scripture, we interpret scripture, that there's the historical grammatical method. We have to understand that everything in the Bible was written to us, but not, but it was written for us, but not to us. So we have to understand who it was written to first in order for us to understand what it's actually saying. If you do that, then you look at passages like Leviticus and you realize there is no way that could apply to us today. Absolutely no way. But you can make scripture say anything you want. And that's exactly what we see happen here. An example was Philemon, where you take something that says one thing and you come to exactly the opposite conclusion. Another one is that race is not even a biblical concept. <laughs> it's not even a biblical concept. Nowhere in scripture does God deal with people based on race or skin color. He deals with nations. When God refers to people, he talks about the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. He don't say the white folk, the black folk, the Asian folk. He never does that. Do you know that, that the idea of race was um, codified in I think it was 1752 by a scientist who was trying to explain differences among the races? It's not even a biblical concept. Something that's been trying to fit back, look, it's something that has been trying to retrofit it back to the Bible. When you don't see that anywhere in the Bible. And, 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 and finally, I want to say that you have to understand that there's a difference between Christians and Christianity. I've um, taught and studied on the writings of Elijah Muhammad, and when you look at the, the childhood of Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X, you see some really, really interesting things. You see some, some things that they had in common. And one of the things they had in common is that, is that when they looked around and they saw the atrocities that were being created and perpetrated on black people, they saw that they were white people, but they also saw that they were people who claimed to be Christians. So that led them to the conclusion then that Christianity must be racist. No, just that those Christians were racist. Christianity is not what Christians do, but what Christ and the Bible teach. If you see me run a red light, you can't say, well, Christians run red lights. No, you could say, he, that Christian ran a red light. Because sometimes we fall short of the mark. But the standard is the Bible. The standard is Christ. We aren't the standard. So then we have to go by what Christ says, what the Bible teaches, not what we see other people do. And I think that's one of the sad things that, that, that happened when I look at uh, the nation of Islam and Elijah Muhammad and those who confuse Christians with Christianity. 
they weren't Christian. They weren't Christian. We all miss the mark sometimes. And also, to come to my conclusion, only in Christianity is man made in the image of God. And because of that, only in Christianity does he have inherent worth regardless of skin color. In no other belief system, not in Buddhism, not in Islam, and no other system is man made in the image of God. So regardless of the color of your skin, you are a image holder, image bearer of God. When God sees you, he sees himself because you behold that image. So it makes no sense that God would hold one people over another people when they all bear the exact same image. Black people don't bear different image of God than white people do. They all bear the same image. It makes no sense for God to be racist. It makes no sense. No sense. But we can actually find that. It makes sense in other belief systems, for instance. And just one of the things that sort of just blows my mind is that is, is we have a lot of people who consider Christian Christianity racist, but then it's far, it's, it's far less racist than scientism, Darwinism, the belief that they are favored races and that we are a part of the unfavored races, that we are closer to apes. That is inherently racist. That's inherently racist, the fact that we are inferior. And that has been used to perpetrate not only slavery, but also genocide on people. And although there have been Christians who have been racist, Christianity is not racist. The Bible is not racist. And that's the point I'm trying to make. That's the, that's the overall point that I'm trying to make. And that Jesus died for all mankind, that all mankind may live with him forever. Because all mankind bears his image each and every one of us. If we read the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3, 27 through 28, he says, for all who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither, there's neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor free man for all are one in Christ Jesus. He is saying we are all one. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter if you have a Spanish accent or Russian accent. It doesn't matter who your mama or dad is none of that matters to him because we are all image bearers and we are all just as equally valuable to him Amen. all equally valuable and if that's not enough the revelator John got a glimpse of heaven and what did he say he said after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and they cried with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb there wasn't a black part of heaven there wasn't a white part of heaven there were all these people singing together in unison all different tribes all different tongues, all in unison. No, 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 no. There's nothing racist about Christianity. There's nothing racist about the Bible. There's nothing racist about Jesus. The message of the Bible and Christianity is the same. Jesus came not to enslave men, but to set them free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Thank you. Okay, so y'all have any questions? Y'all got, did anybody write any questions down?
Um, if civilization started in East Africa mm -hmm. and throughout history there were darker people, right. where did the races come from, different races? The different races, yeah, and, it, and, and when, you, when you start looking at that, you, you start coming across a whole bunch of stuff. And this is, this is my understanding. This is, this is my understanding of what actually happened, is that when you had Adam and Eve, and actually Ken Ham, who's from uh, Answers in Genesis, does a really good job of explaining this. Adam and Eve, more than likely, were middle brown people. And because of that, they had uh, all the combinations of uh, melanin and all the, uh, the genetic material to create all the different races. So then as the different races started, started um, I, I think everyone was pretty much, well, melanin brown. But then I think as people started migrating to different places, and say, for instance, when, when uh, and this is one of the things that, that uh, is really good with DNA, DNA has shown this, is that when you look at what happened in Babylon and then people start splitting up, now when you start splitting up and you're into smaller groups, there's certain characteristics that are going to become dominant in that group. And those are the, I think those are the, some of the common the characteristics that we see in the different uh, ethnic groups that come as a result. And you can sort of see that in, even in people's families. Like, for instance, like my wife has this distinctive nose and her kids have this distinctive nose. And if they were to populate, they went someplace and they were segregated and just that just them, they would probably have a, 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 a bunch of people be characteristic by, by that trait, by that nose. And then as people start to get into different areas, also there is a point where natural selection takes place. And I don't mean natural selection create new species, but there, there, um, there are certain things that are going to happen to people who are in darker climates than people who are in, in, in wider climates. For instance, when people who start to migrate to, to uh, lighter climates, those who have certain body characteristics are going to tend to have more children, but just because they're going to survive better because of the way that the, uh, the, the shorter, uh, stumpier people will, because of the way that the heat dispenses, will tend to have more kids, and after a while, the, the population is going to, going to look more like that, and the melanin in the skin is going, to, is going to change as well. Whereas people who are in Africa, because of the heat, they're going to tend to be uh, slimmer, and, and they're going to, the melanin is going to tend to make their skin darker. So, so, so as they tend to move different places, it's a combination of genes and it's a combination of the environment. My question, my question is, is there a movement in the uh, Christian society amongst the elders or amongst churches or the body in some form to correct the misnomers that you spoke of in the Bible that are still being taught as of today? Not to my knowledge. Unfortunately, not to my knowledge, and that is actually one of the reasons why I am doing this show and I'm doing some of the things that I am doing. And I've, if you look at some of the shows I've done, I've done shows, I've done shows actually on uh, evangelism through racial reconciliation, I mean, which is one of, uh, one of the topics I've done, because I do think that it needs to be addressed and it needs to be dealt with, but I am not aware of, of any movement. And if I can be a spearhead to that, then that would be that would be great, and and, and I also I also want to mention something, is that I think another thing that does the body of, of of Christ harm, is that when you have people from the outside looking on the inside of Christianity, and they look they think that Christianity is a white religion because they look at how, um, for instance. Uh, Adam and Eve and, and Jesus have been Europeanized. When you see the, the white hair, the blue-eyed Jesus. Well, 
that makes absolutely no sense. Because if you look at, at what I explained for, as I talked about before, is that you know even genetically, scientifically, it looks like you know, people actually came up out of Africa. And you look at where Jesus came from. Jesus was from the tribe of Abraham, all right? They were from the land of Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans, which is basically Iraq. And they came to a land where they were definitely darker people, or people who are people of color. And if they if they're in this land, then of course they're they're getting together with these people. And, if, if, and when I read the book of Ezra, it talked about how God was saying, You're not, I don't want you to, to mate with them. I don't want you to, you know, not because of race, but because of the, because of the, uh, the practices. But the fact that they were doing that means that there's a blur between what the, Isra the Israelites looked like and what the surrounding people looked like. And you also looked at the fact that they were in Egypt for 400 years. I mean, you're not going to, they weren't, there were no blonde hair, blue eyes people there. I mean, Jesus was probably an olive colored skin. He probably was, you know, he was a, a person of color because everyone was a person of color. Right. Right. So, surroundings. Okay. But, but I think the more that people know that and realize that, I think it would be easier for some African Americans to embrace Christianity because to a lot of them, it is considered the white man's religion because of what white racist, racist had done to, to perpetrate that view. We know that true Christians who are in love with Jesus Christ know the God of that Bible hates racism. Right. My question is, what, what effect, Harold, do you feel like the body of Christ is having on racism, and what effect have they had in the last 20 years? In the last 20 years, and that's a difficult question. I don't know. I, you know, I, I still hear that uh, <laughs> that 11 a.m. on Saturday is the most <laughs> segregated time in America. So, I mean, it's there's still this this um, and, and, and I don't think all of it is necessarily bad. I don't think it's it's necessarily bad that if 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 certain people want to come together and worship a certain way and they happen to be black. I mean, that's fine. I, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with that as long as it's not just mm -hmm. based on race. You know, I, as long as it's not the the idea that. We don't want you here because you are inferior. We don't want you here because you are of a different skin tone or a different skin color. And that's when I think it, we run into issues. And as far as what the church is doing now, I just, I just don't know. Do you feel like the church is divided? Do you think they're too divided in terms of we have black churches, white churches, not a mixture? Yeah, I think that there are more, definitely more white churches all white or predominantly white churches and predominantly black churches than there are churches who are a mixture. Mm -hmm. I remember when I, <laughs> I remember when I first moved to Charlotte and I was looking for a church home and I remember I went to visit a church here and I am, I am not exaggerating. I sat in the back of the church and I would say that maybe there were 2,000 people there and I was the only person of color. <laughs> I was the only person of color. Now, I don't think that is a reflection of what the body of Christ looks like universally. I don't think that is what God had in mind. I mean, there were churches that I definitely visited that were definitely more, uh, that were more, uh, they were more of a mixture as well. And I guess me, I, 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 I belong to a predominantly African-American church, but one of the, one of the reasons that, that I um, chose the church that I, I went to is because I just had such a passion about sharing apologetics with the African American community, and I felt that was a good way to do it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I have to ask this question because I'm curious. As a pastor myself and as a seminarian myself, 
how much can we do as a people to remove some of the stereotypes that encourages and fuels racism and division among church? Wow. That is a very good question. Because I've been to a church, we've only been in Charlotte six months, and I've gone to a church and 200 people there, I'm the only black. And right. I chose to sit right in the middle on the third row to be seen. Because w what can we do to change the yeah. stereotype? Yeah. Uh, that, like I said, that is a very, very good question. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that this, this show is a step in that direction. I am trying to build bridges between the Christian community and those who are of African-American descent who are alienated for, from the Christian community. And when, I, when, I, when I'm talking about that, I'm talking particularly like people from the Nation of Islam, people who are, who are Muslim, who, are, who believe that Christianity is, 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 is the white man religion. But, but, but here's something that's really, really interesting. And I think we have, a, we have a very skewed view of what Christianity looks like because we're in America. <sighs> Uh, if you look at one of the things that I had on the uh, presentation in the bibliography, there was, I think I kept it in there, there was a Pew study that shows that whites are in the minority in Christianity. If you look at worldwide, they are in the minority. There are over 70 million Chinese Christians alone. You look at some of the uh, some of the African nations. There is a there is a, a rise in, in in Asia, and there is a rise in Africa right now, in, in the Christianity that is causing it to grow by leaps and bounds. And I think what happens is, is because we live in America and America has been considered a Christian nation, we tend to associate Christianity with whiteness. But nation, but worldwide, white people are in the minority in the Christian religion. I think getting that type of information out will help. I think, you know, like I said, shows like this and just, and, and just uh, reaching out to people who believe that Christianity is a white man religion and showing that statistically it's not, theologically it's not, and hopefully we can build some of those bridges. Interesting. And hopefully I answered your question. Yes, that, was you a very, that was a very yes, difficult question. That will end this episode of Giving an Answer. Be sure to join me again next time, and until then, goodbye. <laughs> And God bless. You can find out more about Giving an Answer as well as listen to other episodes by visiting us online at www.givingunanswer.org.